If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. Hello, welcome to season four of Confessions of a Marketer. I'm your host, Mark Reed Edwards. It's great to be back. We are piling up interviews for the next several weeks. It should be a fun season. But we're starting this season with a change of pace. I'm turning the tables, as it were. Victor Machado, a friend, colleague, and guest of the podcast on episodes 86 and 87, is in to ask me questions. Now, this was his idea. And although we have discussed it, I'm not 100% sure what he's going to ask. So this could be fun or a complete disaster. Anyway, Victor is founder of PW Digital Agency, which combines a couple of decades of sales, business, and tech experience to deliver unbeatable digital marketing programs rooted in analytics and driven by creativity. Victor, welcome and take it away. Thank you, Mark. So this is a big moment because I am an avid listener of Confessions of a Marketer. You're the one. <laughs> I'm that one guy. <laughs> so your analytics must be just through the roof. When you started to opine in July timeframe about yeah. shutting down Confessions of a Marketer, I just found it to be a significant and a big loss. And I just want to say this. Yeah. If anyone is listening for the first time and they have not actually gone through and listened to the podcasts. And if they are marketing professionals, whether they're on the agency side or they're on the business side, then they really need to make Confessions of a Marketer part of their learning because that's what I did. Mm -hmm. When you have a cross-section of industry people from agencies that focus on brand and voice all the way over to the digital side and multiple disciplines within the, uh, the digital side around search and social and all of these other areas, you get a lot of perspectives. When you have a global pool of interviewees, you have an incredibly diverse set of views that they're bringing to the craft. So if you're a marketer and if you're not listening to confessions of a marketer, you truly have no excuse because the format of the podcasts have been fantastic. They're digestible, but it's all great learning. So I wanted to say that because we should not assume that as awesome as, as this is, that every single marketer is actually tapping into it and they need to. So that's why I listened to Confessions of a Marketer. That's why I became such a big fan. So with that said, let's get into it because one of the things that has impressed me is your ability to get the folks that you get. And I'll start right from the top. Beth Comstock, yeah. 
right when she was coming out with Imagine It Forward, right? Her her book, you had her on your podcast. And literally a week later is when I finally started to see her publication push on mainstream media, on, on TV and on these shows. How do you pull off these gets? Because honestly, it's impressive. Yeah. First of all, I, I want to go back to the, uh, I will answer. I feel like I'm, you know, in a presidential debate here. Um, but uh, <laughs> first of all, I'll answer the question about Beth Comstock. It's actually an interesting story. Back in the spring, as we were all dealing with the pandemic and as a, I run my own little business, you know, we, we all thought the world was ending, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the rug was pulled out from under us. And it turned out actually that for me, at least in my business, uh, things uh, got really good in May, June, and July and ridiculously busy. And producing a weekly or sometimes twice weekly podcast is a real challenge. And so that's number one. Number two is that I saw what was going on in the world, not just with coronavirus, but with uh, the social unrest around the country and around the world. Mm -hmm. And just the kind of heated political climate that we find ourselves in. And I felt like doing Confessions of a Marketer was kind of not as important as the other things that were going on in the world. And when I started talking about it on the podcast, not a lot of people, because some people just listen to the interviews. They don't really give a shit what I say at the beginning. Not true. And some people said to me, you know, this is important to me. You know, it's not the most important issue in in the world right now, figuring out how to market, but mm-hmm. it's it's an important program to me. And you know, when one person says that to you, you think, oh, yeah, okay, great. But then when two or three people say, well, why are you going to stop doing it? Right. It changed my mind. I wanted to do something completely outside of uh, marketing when I stopped this that had some impact on society. But uh, maybe, maybe I'm doing that in my own way by just kind of keeping things going on Confessions of a Marketer. So that's why I kind of had this change of mind. I took pretty much all of August off from from the podcast, and I had a very mm-hmm. busy slate of work with clients, and it kind of refreshed my interest in doing Confessions of a Marketer. So that's why I initially kind of did the um, Hamlet thing, you know, mm-hmm. should I continue <laughs> it or shouldn't I? But, you know, as I've said to you before, you know, when I started this in 2017, I thought about quitting it after every episode because it's just a lot of work. And, you know, to really make money on a podcast, you have to, you know, you have to be, you know, Bill Simmons or someone like that. It's about scale. And and my podcast was never about scale. It was about, you know, filling a uh, a niche in marketing, not even all of marketing, because there are a lot of people in marketing who don't care about some of the stuff that I talk about, but Mm. it's a very relatively small audience. Even if we're, you know, hugely successful, it's still, it's never going to be a mass audience. So making money in the podcast world from an endeavor like this is a challenge. I've tried to do that by launching a podcast company and, and we hit COVID. And it just, it's just really hard getting the scale you need. So you either do it as a something that is going to help your career, 
or you do it as a passion project. And I guess I'm doing it kind of as as both. Yeah. So is does that answer the question about you know my my to be or not to be kind of act from uh, June and July? Yeah, and actually that's that's incredibly honest to to talk about the business aspect of Confessions of a Marketer and to also really recognize obviously what the size of your actual market is, right? Which is <laughs> part and parcel of what we do every single day, whether it's for ourselves, for our own businesses, or for our clients. You know, I would say I would say this. I go back to my opening, which I, I know maybe I, I might sound like just a fan who's a little bit lost in it. I'm not. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of learning here because I've got some of the episodes I want us to talk through a little bit. Yep. And I think too, here's the thing. You live this, you're close to it. It really is a one-way communication channel, yep. right? It's not like you throw up a podcast and you expect to, besides listens, have your audience message you, right? right. Send you, you know, send you information, whatever it is, right? Because that's not really your format. I guess you could do that, but you don't. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that folks besides, mm -hmm. besides me reached out to you and said, Mark, you've got to keep this going yeah. because it's incredible. And it is the, I can't stress this enough, right? So I, look, I run an agency, you run a business. I don't know how much of your time you dedicate to learning, but I mean this sincerely, right? That Confessions of a Marketing has made that like 10% weekly of learning in my life as part of my routine as a business owner. Because, you know, honestly, understanding, for instance, what some of the trends are in the APAC region and understanding that it's probably going to take three to six months before it hits our shores because that's what seems to be happening. It's important to kind of have that forward thinking to then be able to go out and to do some of the homework, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. and so that you can be effective for your clients as well. So anyway, it is called Confessions of a Marketer. That was a big confession that you just laid <laughs> down for the audience. And I applaud you for it. But I think, I think you underestimate your own value. So let's pivot this thing back here because you clearly are trying to retake over this podcast. And I'm not going to allow that. But, but I do want to tell the story about getting some guests. Good. Please do. You just ask. I did. No, that, that's what you do. You just ask whether they will come on your podcast. You just ask? So you just basically, what, you reached out to Beth's uh, rep? No, I sent, I sent her a, a message on her website, maybe, something like that. And I said, hey, I've got a podcast. I'd love to talk with you. And she said, no, it would be my pleasure. You know, when someone's promoting a book, they will talk to just about anybody. <laughs> and, and that turned out to be the case with her because she spoke with me three times i think i've i've had her yeah. on yeah and you know it was it was kind of an interesting discussion because she had a book she wanted to promote and that was fine but i wanted to find out about you know working at ge and the rise of her career and all that and i think i got into some of that but the key with with i think with as you know from being in sales you've got to ask for the sale you've got to ask for the deal and you know seeing someone who's very prominent and thinking, oh, well, they'll never come on my show. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think that way. I try and get anybody who is interesting on my show, whether they're really prominent or, or not. That's how I think I've made something that is worth listening to. Well, listen, and by the way, folks, that's uh, episodes 112 and 113. And I think through the three interviews, they're 
both captured inside of that. I don't know if I'm missing one of those. She did come back again. So, so okay. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what the number is and I'm going crazy with the numbers now. So, you know, it's, <laughs> once it reached three digits, I was just having trouble. Don't fight it, man. It's like UFC. Just keep rolling it up. Just keep <laughs> rolling it up. Don't, don't yeah. worry about that. But one of the things that was really revealing in that conversation with Beth was at her time in GE, she got pulled in, put into the CMO position. And she shared a story about how uh, they were in a boardroom together. Mm -hmm. And basically, she kind of was just listening and I think probably absorbing what she needed to absorb. But afterwards, her note from who uh, was who she was reporting to was, I need you to be more active. I need yeah. you to be more in front. Right. And thinking about when she was at GE back at the time. Right. You're starting to see kind of this evolution of the CMO, not just being someone who is very internally focused and not necessarily passive, but who really, uh, you know, is kind of sitting there to absorb and, and everything else. Today, a CMO has to be in tune with, you know, the financial aspects of the organization, all kinds of things that are related to, but outside of, of key marketing functions. But that's like the kind of, you know, getting those kind of anecdotal stories around career and rise and experience is, is like what really, I think, makes it for me inside of the construct of Confessions of a Marker. So yeah, that, that to, to me, that that was an interesting admission for mm. someone like her to make. And it's something that's happened to all of us, right, in a boss-employee uh, relationship where you think you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And your boss comes to you and say, well, I need you to kind of do this. And yeah. rarely do you hear someone as prominent as her mm -hmm. or an executive admit a flaw. Right. And certainly in the political climate we're in now, it seems like, you know, the people running the country don't want to admit any flaws. And yet we're human beings, right? We're human beings. We all make mistakes. Right. So so hearing that from, you know, an executive was refreshing. And, you know, how she reacted to it. She didn't react to it defensively. And that's how we get better as people. And if you think of life as being a journey, mm -hmm. you know, when I started in my career, which is a long, long, long time ago, I was... I fairly quickly promoted into a position where I ran a radio station and I had people who were at that point, you know, I was in my mid twenties and they were all approaching 60, 70. They were, they were, they were a lot older than me. Yeah. And uh, that could have been a really daunting experience. And in, in a way it was, but communicating with these people as human beings who needed to know where they stood was something that was taught to me by a, a mentor of mine. And that's what I did back then. And I think that's how that anecdote from, from Beth Comstock, that's how she and Jeff Immelt communicated. Mm -hmm. I don't think he yeah. came to her and said, look, you got to straighten up. You know, he, right. he did it in a very kind of mentoring way. And it's just kind of interesting to see that kind of admission because we've all been through that. So two things, but I had a uh, question regarding your time in the industry, and I want to get back to that. So just let's put a pin in that for a second. But you just used a word that is actually near and dear to my heart, and that's mentoring. Mm -hmm. Because in my professional arc of a career, when I first 
got out of school, got into the workforce, all this other stuff. I saw mentoring as being a component, right? Yeah. Of what was actively being practiced. And I've got to tell you, over the years, I've just seen that diminish and diminish and diminish and diminish. And I think, you know, part of it is, is how folks are promoted up the chain and who don't necessarily have, I don't know if it's the emotional intelligence or the training to understand that that's an important and critical part of working with teams. But what have you seen around mentoring? And do you have opportunities yourself to mentor today based on where you are in your career? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think to mentor someone, you have to check your ego and to do it effectively because mentoring is not about making another you. It's about helping mm. someone else become themselves. And and I think all too often mentoring is is confused with cloning. You know, it's confused with, right. hey, this is the way I did it, so you should do it this way, right? That doesn't right. work because everybody is, you know, similar, yet they have unique aspects. So if you want to become a CMO of a company, you're going to do it differently than the person who was CMO of that company before you. Even you could both be equally as effective, but you're going to focus on different things. You're going to have a different style. You're going to hire different people. So the way you are wired as a human being is different. I do a lot of ghostwriting for executives, and usually at the end of a successful engagement, the person I'm working with says, this was like a mentoring experience for me. That's great. You know, because you showed me that I have capabilities. My whole way of working when I ghostwrite isn't to write the entire thing for someone and give it to them. It's to have conversations with them about what it is that they want to write and to draw out ideas from them. And I think that's what mentoring is. It's kind of, if you think of analysis, a psychologist or a psychiatrist never tells the patient what the problem is. They let the patient arrive at that conclusion themselves. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I think being a good mentor, and I, I guess I've mentored some people in, in a professional environment over my career. Mm-hmm you have to realize that they're an individual. They're not you. So you have to draw out their skills and their talents. I think the worst thing in a professional environment is when young people or people who are trying to learn how to do a job are told exactly how to do it. Yes. You have to do it this way. Yes. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You know, yeah. and and for me... As someone, I've had a lot of people working for me. I've hired a lot of people over the years. Mm -hmm. And I believe you should let people do the job in the way that they want to do it or can do it yep. and focus on the results. Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's incredibly counterproductive to do two things. The first is not let someone actually learn from success or failure, yep. right? And then I think the other is, is frankly, on, on, on the flip side of it is, is that if you're working with people, whether it's on the client side or it's someone who works for you on the agency side, if you're working with those folks and if you're not open to yourself discovering and learning something new, because they could be bringing something to the game, right? Yeah. That uh, just is not necessarily in your purview. I think it's a, you know, it's a great failing. So 
great to, to hear that you've had those opportunities. Let's go back to the question, though, that I was going to lead you to, which is you've been in the industry for a long time. What have you seen, in your opinion, as the most important seismic shifts in thinking or process or platform? What are the things that when you started back the beginning of your career to where you are now that you just did not anticipate or see a trend to, and then one day, boom, there it was. And now it's a thing that we're all living with and we've got to do it, right? So I think it's it's kind of mixed in with digital technologies, which I've been working mm-hmm. in for you know, 25 years or so. But it's not really about digital. It's about the ability to make informed decisions a lot quicker than we used to be able to make. And when I started in radio in the 1980s, we would have um, Arbitron rating book and it would come out quarterly, at least in the market I was working in. In some of the bigger markets, you would get monthly books, but Mm -hmm. you, you you could make decisions maybe on a quarterly basis. When I started working in corporate communications and, and marketing back in the, in the early nineties, you would make decisions based on product announcements. And maybe things, you know, if if it was a public company, you'd make quarterly decisions based on that. But everything in the companies I worked for revolved around product announcements, which happened, you know, one, two, three times a year. And that was pre-internet, right? So the web comes in 1994 and things start accelerating. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you didn't really have really good analytics Web trends mm-hmm. sat on the webmaster's desk, and you know people would crowd around it and see how many hits you got on the website. None of that, none of those numbers really made any sense, right? So I yeah. think the 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 increased sophistication of analytics and mm-hmm. data over the last twenty five years, and here we are in twenty twenty, and even a tiny company can know exactly where their business is coming from. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I think is the the most seismic shift that has happened uh, over my career is the ability to make really well-informed marketing decisions. But, you know, I was going through a box of stuff Mm -hmm. of mine, throwing some stuff out from work from, you know, decades ago, but keeping one copy. And one thing I lament, one thing I lament is the quality of the print work that we used to do. Oh, I, I really yeah. miss that yeah. um, because it was something you spent time on. Look right. at any anything on the web and you'll find typos in it. If you go to the Boston Globe, <laughs> if you go to the New York Times, they don't give a shit about, about uh, quality control because they're on such a treadmill, right? Uh, Push, push, yeah, and, push, and push. so so I lament the loss of the great creative. I'm not saying great creative isn't done anymore, but great yeah. creative that we used to do in print. That's a you know a nostalgic part of me, and I'm not a, a hugely nostalgic person, but I kind of miss sure. that. And I came in at the end of it. You know, one of the I watched Mad Men, not right, because yeah. of the pathos and drama. But mm-hmm. because I, my dad kind of worked on the edge of the advertising business and knew some of the, some people in in the ad business in New York and London, 
And I just love that. What a romantic era. Forget about the sexism and all that, but they did incredible right. creative work. Yeah. That yeah. still exists, you know, but in a different form, you know, and I'll admit, you know, it's a generational thing. Someone, someone, yeah. uh, you know, who's 30 years younger than me, 30 years from now, maybe lamenting the loss of uh, Instagram or something like that. But, but there, <laughs> right. there was an era of incredible creative in advertising and print and uh, other, you know, TV, you yeah. know, that, that I think has, has gone by the wayside. Now, other things have replaced it that are just as exciting, but that's, you know, that's my point of view. Yeah, no, listen, and I'm not even going to call you an old fart for it because, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, it's uh, it, print, good print, right? Nice stock paper, something you can really feel in your hand. I think that, um, I think that that lives with some of us. Um, and I think that over time, it's, uh, it's kind of like having that conversation around the, uh, the fake meat, right? Well, it's, it's really not meat. It's yeah, but you know what, if, if people start just buying into that, you'll eventually work out into generations that never tasted real meat, that industry ever really goes to where it wants to go. And it's been replaced with richer digital content. But yeah, I think that that's an element that folks will appreciate but not in the way that has been appreciated in the past with time. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. I went on, on vacation now probably five or six years ago up deep into Maine mm. and uh, you know, it was a standard definition cathode ray TV with one of those old uh, cable boxes. You know, you had to push the buttons uh, on, and i i kind of I kind of thought, oh wow, this was actually kind of fun. You know, <laughs> because the media isn't just slamming you in the face twenty four seven. Yeah, you know, yeah. Did you actually have to get up to change things, or? <laughs> Or were you still able to sit there with an old remote control and just sit on I the couch? I think there was a remote, but I, you know, I, uh, I yeah. remember when we first got cable TV where I grew up, and and the yeah. remote was a box with all these push buttons, and it had a wire that went to the the set top box. Anyway, I'm not a nostalgic person, but I think that there's there's an element of creativity and invention that has been lost because we're going so fast. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, I think the rate at which things are changing, it, you know, frankly, for, for me, having spent time in technology before really, you know, stepping more fully into marketing, trained my brain and trained my life around active learning, right? Yeah. Around understanding just how quickly things changed. And, you know, we built our business, frankly, on the backs of, of digital and continue to, to do that. One thing that you said about analytics, just to go back for a second, absolutely fascinating. I continue to find clients who are, I don't want to say they're undervaluing the, the role of analytics, but just even having the architecture established to capture meaningful analytics. Right. And, and now in the day of COVID, right, where no matter how things play out, there's going to be a, a larger uh, percentage of work from home population, yeah. no matter what winds up happening. And, and God, you know, we all hope for this pandemic to be over. 
What I'm finding right now are two things, a new call for internal facing marketing mm -hmm. for culture, right? For engaging the organization that is now going to be highly dispersed. And within that, I am finding so far not great internal analytics, internally facing analytics around what you would want to track and use, what's available today, how we're living with tracking engagement. And I think that that might be a market opportunity where someone's going to come in and say, you know what, we're going to retune this for these kinds of apps, enterprise apps, to be able to then have a, a dashboard that's more in, for internally facing activity. I, I just, it's just a hunch. You know, is there anything that you're aware of out there today that does something like that? Not really. Um, I, I'm not um, hugely tuned into developments like that, but mm -hmm. I think that all crises, and we're in, you know, like a three-headed beast crisis right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think they they produce change. I don't know whether you want to call it innovation or not. I, I don't know, but but I think whenever this ends, mm. and I'm not optimistic that it's going to end anytime soon. I think it's you know a year or so away that we're we're all going to be squirreled away in our houses and being super cautious whenever we're in public. Mm. I know at least I am that at the end of that, the world will be different. And so if the world is going to be different then the technology, the, the way we market, all of those things will be different. Some things will return to normal and, you know, eventually football stadiums will be full and right, people yeah. won't die afterwards. And, uh, you know, all those kinds of uh, societal things, people will go to parks and movies and, and things like that. But I think there will be, you know, speaking of movies, I think I don't know that the in-person movie market will be the same for some time. Uh, there's so many industries that are just going to yeah. be modified or gone. Absolutely. Uh, the thing that I really threw out COVID that, that I have really uh, worried about are the small businesses. As a yeah. small business person myself, I, you know, thought in March the world was going to end and I was going to go bankrupt. That didn't happen. And I'm I'm happy that that didn't happen. But, you yeah, know, if you own a restaurant, if you own a hair salon, if you own any of these small businesses that you see on main streets in little towns like the one I live in, yeah, I worry about them. And whether they will just be boarded up, you know, the subway even in my town closed. Yeah. And whether that was related to COVID or not, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but it closed right when COVID was at its height. So, so I worry about that. And then, you know, all of that, that changes things. So, so you know, does that mean Amazon fills the, the breach, you know, of these small businesses? That's what makes me concerned is that the small businesses will be replaced by monoliths. And I think that's very likely to happen. Well, it's happening already. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're deep into this and it's happening. I'll tell you on our side of the business, the B2C just went on pause and we haven't seen anyone come back, yeah. right? So we really have as an organization where we used to basically serve both, you know, the B2B side, the B2C side, on the B2C side right now, there's just, uh, for us anyway, 
there's just nothing really happening. And those are franchise restaurants, yeah. you know, franchise family entertainment centers, those kinds of things. So it's, there's just a lot of changes behind this. I don't think we're, I don't know that we're completely through it. I think some people, and, and this is for the, you know, our, the U.S. audience listening, right? We're not over this. I know that some folks are trying to present like we're on the back end of this, that they're talking about it like it's in the past. We still have people infected. We still have people dying. And we're probably going to hit that 200,000 yeah. uh, deaths number uh, sometime this weekend, the way it's it's tracking. I think Churchill said it's not the beginning of the end. It's the end of the beginning, you know, and I think that's where we are, you know, and, and I don't want to be pessimistic about it because I'm naturally right. an optimist. You know, I think to to own your own business and, and, and try and go out and get business like you and I do, you have to be an optimist or you would uh, just hang it up, you know? So, so I'm, I'm an optimist in general, but I, I'm also a realist. And staying on, not necessarily this thread completely, which just feels incredibly depressive right now, <laughs> <laughs> but, but one of the things that, and this comes back to why I'm such a fan of Confessions of a Marketer is some of the learnings that you get are really just full-blown mind shifts. And I'm going to probably get this last name incorrect. I want to apologize in advance uh, if this person is listening. This was on episode 107, and it's Carmen P Pieri. Uh, Carmen right? Perry, I think that's how you pronounce oh, is it, it. Is that how you pronounce yeah. that? Okay. I, I asked okay. him as as we were getting ready to record. You know, how do you okay. how do you pronounce your name? And he said, yeah. Perry. It's <laughs> like, well, that doesn't spell yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And he that's he right. was a really interesting guy uh, with uh, political background. Just just fascinating. Anyway, ask your question. Well, he was so right. Well, he was so interesting that actually he's probably had one of the biggest impacts on my thinking around this this question of B2B, where he said it's really yeah. P2P, which is person to person. And it's funny because, you know, before listening to that, it was something that I was noticing even before COVID that was starting to happen, where a lot of the language was, you know, B2B is dead. B2B should take lessons from the B2C marketing, you know, ideologies. People want to connect with people and the products and the things that get pulled through are kind of a result of that uh, sort of visceral reaction to the need. And Carmen comes right out and he basically just says, no, listen, this, this going forward is about really the person to person and your messaging, the way you need to think about your marketing, all of these things are now really shifting to this. COVID happens, and I think absolutely accelerates that because I don't know about you, but anyone who's pitching a product right now, if they're missing the personal element, I think they're just missing it. I mean, you need to have a component of that anyway, but if you're really, really just devoid of, if you're, if you're trying to operate like it's business as usual, and you're not really connecting to the viewer of the content that you are just, you've just missed the mark, right? Yeah. I don't care how pretty the content is. Uh, you've just absolutely missed the mark. So what are your thoughts around where we are today in the middle of COVID globally and what messaging looks like? And what do you think messaging should be at this time? Well, I've been a proponent. I've done mainly B2B marketing over the last 20 years, mm -hmm. 25 years. 
And then even before we called it B2B, I think B2B is probably in the last 15 or 20 years that, that we would use that. People are mm-hmm. people. And even if you're selling to a business, you have a number of constituents you need to sell to, but they're all people. They're not a business, right? And you need to message in that way. People buy products, businesses don't buy products. It's simpler to sell a an iPod, iPad, iPhone, Apple Watch to one person, mm-hmm. although Apple might disagree with me on that. Than it is to sell a you know a big enterprise software package to a business. I, I agree on that. That's definitely mm-hmm. true. But who is behind the purchase of that big enterprise software package? People, and you have to understand those people. You have to message to them in a way that resonates with them. Just saying B two B. So it's a business selling to a business? Not really. It's people selling to people. The first show we had was about you and me, not B2B. And that was my my old friend, Tony Temple, one of the the great creatives in the world. I love his podcast. When he's on with you, I I love listening to Tony. Yeah, I'm trying to get him back on, but I haven't heard from him. Oh, Oh my God. Such a great man. But, uh, you know, he and I worked together. 10 or 11 years ago. And back then we were talking about that. You know, you're not selling to a business. You're selling to a person, maybe a bunch of people. But that's the the way I look at it. I think that all too often messaging, especially, man, I don't know, do you get LinkedIn messages all the time? I do. And I actually, I have a colleague who, just like you in marketing, we crossed paths. And he's someone who I follow. Uh, he's deeply entrenched as a consultant in the VR space, VR, AR space. Yeah. He's a uh, speaker. He has a global market, global presence. Fantastic guy. I don't know if I can call out his name or not. But one of the things that he posted on LinkedIn was stop reaching out to me yeah. unless you have something for me as well. Not just ask, you know, could I connect with you because you seem interesting, Right. And I want to take a look at all of your connections once that's made, right? Or, or it's like, what is, if you're trying to sell me something, just tell me you're trying to sell me something, yeah. all right? And that's an A, B decision, right? That That's a yes, no. If you truly want to connect, tell me why you think there's going to be value in it for both of us. Yeah. And I've started to use that. And actually, this just went back and forth in messaging on LinkedIn, specifically with you know a person. There's so many of them. But I just... I finally, because I, I, I ignore a lot of those requests, right? A lot of the, the folks about, oh, I'm going to amplify your business. I'm going to do, I'm going to do that, da, 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 da. And I just finally challenged and I said, look, what's, what's, what's your expectation of our relationship? Yeah. I thought that was a fair question. Yeah. You think I'm interesting. I know you haven't looked at me. <laughs> you know, I, I know that you, you know, this, for all I know, this is just an auto, you know, bought thing anyway. They, they mainly are, I think. Yeah. So it's like, what are the expectations? And literally three days went by and they finally <laughs> responded. And I looked at it and like, well, it's this, this is a platform for networking. I, I get it. But we're at this point now, and I'm at this point in my career where it's like, I want meaning, I continue to want more meaningful relationships, right? 
if there's something that your business does that will help my business, I'm all, I'm always open to that conversation, right? As, as, uh, as an agency owner. But when all you want to do is ask and sell, I, there's no value there, right? Yeah. The great philosopher Mick Jagger once sang, <laughs> life is just a cocktail party. And think of LinkedIn as a cocktail party. Mm. And someone you meet, you know, you say, oh, hi, Joe, how are you? And he says, do you want to move in together? Yeah, makes no sense. It's just, it's out of context. So I want to read something to you that I got on September 16th oh, okay. in, in my LinkedIn box. You you have this locked and loaded even before we came no, on. No, it just, it just occurred to me and I just pulled it up. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go for it. I won't read the person's name. Sure. I made the mistake of accepting his connection request. Sure. But you know what? I'm open to connecting with people. You know? Yeah. So he, he yeah. writes to me, thanks for connecting, Mark. A little bit about me. I help B2B businesses grow and get an ROI with podcasts. Are you open to a 15-minute call to discuss further? And then he signs his name. Yeah. And I wrote back one minute later, no, comma, thanks period. Then yeah. I think a day or so goes by and he writes back, okay, thank you. And you think it's over. But within that minute, he wrote to me, what are you working on and who are your ideal clients? <laughs> I hate that. Since I am not on LinkedIn all the time, what is the best email or message me? <laughs> and then he puts in his email address. To me, I understand yeah. he wants, maybe he wants to help me. But yeah. it's so out of context and it's just he doesn't give a shit about you. What are you kidding? He doesn't want to help you. This is on the sales side, right? Carry the bag directly, manage people. And I'll tell you this, right? When you're that tone deaf to the person that you are trying to engage and they basically say, I'm good. I'm moving on for a lot of different reasons. For this one is clearly this person didn't even really look too deeply into what it is that you've been doing and just so many, too many things to, to get into right now, but just bad, bad prospecting is what that is. Yeah. Right? It's, it's just, you know, a lot of life and success in life comes down to relevance, right? You yeah. know, so, yeah. so yeah. why are you messaging me? Okay. Here's why. Okay. Now nah, I don't need that. A simple thank you or even no reply is fine. But obviously this, this, he was using some kind of, uh, uh, you know, LinkedIn prospecting tool. It's, it's just a bad script. Yeah. It's a bad, whether, whether he owns that business or he has a manager who told them or, or basically that's the ethos of that whole thing. That's just bullshit selling, right? Yeah. That that's the wrong way to go about it. You know, period, full stop. I want to just, cause I know we're coming up on, on time and I, I definitely want to, get your perspective on this because I think it's important, right? I think so many times culture has somehow decided that when you become a person of a certain age, male or female, that somehow all of the experience you've accumulated is, is just not as relevant, right? As the things that are happening today. And I'm, I'm leaning toward ageism here, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So my first question to you, because you talk to so many people, is if somehow when uh, someone, especially in this industry, hits their 50s and organizations may be thinking about putting them out to pasture, 
if that seems to be that line, then what is that that golden bracket, right? What's the cohort for being the most valued in marketing? Because I'll I'll put out my argument right now. Experience mm-hmm. does not have age, right? And I don't care how old you are. So I'm just going to put that out there. But you talk to a lot of folks, you get a sense that somehow the industry values a certain cohort within marketing as them being at the right age. And then just speak to some of the ageism that's actually made it into the the interviews of uh, Mm -hmm. Confessions of a Marketer. So give me your thoughts on that. Well, I think think many companies undervalue experience and overvalue uh, budgeting. Mm. Right. So, so I think, I think that if they can uh, hire someone for, you know, two thirds of the budget, that older and more experienced person would, would go for, they're fine with that. And I think that's, that's at the root of ageism. I think that recently there was uh, Mark Reed who runs WPP said something about the, the average age of people at WPP is 30 or something. And he made kind of a, said something right after that. I don't remember the exact thing that you know thank god we're young oh wow now he's a guy who's in his 50s right so so i think he's in his 50s but that that really caused a controversy and rightly you know because that is the very definition of ageism right now i've had people of all ages on the podcast and yep you know, some uh, of the, the people in their 20s explained things to me that I just didn't fucking understand. Right. Because I'm not in my 20s anymore. And that was really valuable to me. But I think what, you know, someone who's older, who's had experience can do is put it in perspective. Absolutely. That Instagram isn't yeah. the beginning and end of marketing. Right. It's right. It's a vehicle. Right. And TikTok is this and, you know, all all the other all the other stuff that that is going on that I have a real appreciation for. Mm -hmm. But it's not the best thing since sliced bread. Right. So, yeah, I think that ageism is something that has is not new. Mm -hmm. I think like a lot of things, it has accelerated because there is so much to understand in digital technology. Right. And some people just say, nah, I don't really care about that. And, and I don't really want to understand it. So, okay. But uh, if, if you're of a certain age, if you're you know, my age, I've been working in digital technology since it started. Right. And I understand what has happened in the last 25, 30 years. Just because I'm not 25 doesn't mean I can't understand technology and social media and all that. Some of it just leaves me cold. I don't really care about it. But, mm-hmm. but you know, I, th- I think drawing a conclusion based on someone's age is just fundamentally wrong. I think that, forget about ageism, just drawing a conclusion based on one aspect of a person is just fundamentally wrong. It's just immoral, I think. And so, so, you know, I think that people who are of in their fifties or sixties, for the most part, are going to live for another 20, 30 years. Yeah. There's a lot of life left. They're going to work until they're 70 or so, Mm -hmm. and they're going to be productive even in retirement. 
on my street, there are a few people who are retired, but they're really active. Yeah. They're, they're, you know, active in their community and to consign these people to the scrap heap just because they've reached a certain age just doesn't make sense to me. And I'm not saying that because I've reached a certain age. It's something I've always thought. I, you know, looking back on that early experience when I worked in in radio and I had all these old codgers working for me, Mm -hmm. you know, they taught me a lot. Uh, There's wisdom in in age. There's um, experience. Someone of a certain age has seen a lot of the things that everyone else thinks are brand new. Right. <laughs> I'm not saying that, you know, the perspective of someone young is not valuable. That, that you know, I've got kids myself and and they teach me every day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and and whether it's it's something uh, you know, technical or whether it's just something about life. And I think that just people in general just need to have more open minds. I think that that's part of the problem with the country where or maybe in the world that we're having right now is Right. Is that, you know, people make up their mind and that's it. You know? on, on, on very limited information for most of it or no yeah. information. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, you hear it all the time. I don't want to go into politics, but you hear it all the time. People drawing conclusions based on zero information. Right. And so I think for, you know, bright people who are younger than me to close their mind to someone else because that person is older is just as bad. Yeah, I would say this, right? Whether you're you're older, you're younger, you're coming into this industry or any industry, at some point, one can only hope that we can pivot to the quality of ideas, right? Yeah. And frankly, all uh, take in and receive that experience uh, together. That that would be kind of, it's idealistic, it's unrealistic right now, but one would hope that we can track to a world where that's the, the thinking and the predominant discriminator yeah. is let's focus on the value of ideas and not the, the age of the individual who is uh, providing the idea. I don't think ideas are like athletes. You know, I think that you can be a, an athlete for 10 or 15 years, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. a professional yep. athlete. And then you have to move on just because, you know, your body gets old, but uh, brains right. and ideas don't get old. I, no. I think that too many people think they do, though. So we're coming up on our time. And what I wanted to ask you is, and I, know- I don't have to go anywhere. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to just make sure because I was like, oh, I know you're going to want to package this up to not be a long podcast. So I think we'll just let this one go. Oh, all right, man. That's awesome. It's my podcast. I can do what it I want. It is your podcast. Yeah, you're the boss, dude. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you talked about this at the top a little bit, so I was trying to tease it for the end of the podcast, but you kind of got into it. But because we're talking about social issues, because you have said, look, I really want to remake Confessions of a Marketer in this reboot, part of what you've said, and, and I'm glad to hear it because I want the learning aspect to continue uh, on this platform is is that sometimes you have to operate like life is normal and you have to continue to do the things that you want to do. But you also expressed to me in some of our conversations that you're looking to get closer to societal issues. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's just strictly within the construct of marketing or 
just in general, where you might actually have a, a podcast or two or three or more dedicated to other things, but that just happened to be on the Confessions of a Marketer platform. Can you talk a little bit about some of your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, the first episode after this one is going to be about COVID for retailers and mm. and how to how are they surviving how are they planning and i've already done that interview and it's really a fascinating mm. interview i'm talking to someone who used to work for me and and was on the podcast early on vanessa white who runs mm-hmm. uh, a pierogi company and she has through the last six months persevered and just crushed it and I want to talk right. to her about what that experience was like because she was flying high in February and then March came. And I can't imagine, yeah. well, I can't imagine because I was kind of going through it myself. You sure. know, what was going on in her head for this business that she founded with her sister a few years ago? So it's things like that. I don't know okay. that, uh, you know, in, in the last episode of the previous season, I talked with Keith Cartwright, who founded Cartwright, and we talked about all the social impacts of Black Lives Matter and and what's going on in the country. And that was an important discussion. I want to have more discussions like that. Mm. You know, when you think about it, marketing is something that touches us all. And when you see a really poignant TV ad or something online, it really hits you in the gut. And it can reveal truths about society that even a movie or a TV show can't touch. You know, that's why the 30 second, 15 second commercial is such a powerful medium because it's like a poem. It's, It's like something that you can pack so much into And that's what I I enjoyed talking with Keith about. And I think that marketing can help to change society. And that's that's kind of where I'm aiming. I'm going to talk about some of the gut issues to do with marketing like I always do, lead generation, you know, stuff Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But I do want to talk about what's going on in society and how marketers can respond to it. Uh, Whether I will reach that in, in the next several episodes or whether it's something over over the course of time, I'm, I'm not sure. But I've got a full slate of people scheduled through into uh, February, and it's it's going to be interesting. I, th- I think that that the societal background, if you will, of all of these interviews is different now. And so you can't help but discuss what's going on. As uh, a listener of the podcast, I'm going to make this direct request. I requests. Uh, what do you? What am Since I? Apparently, I'm all it here. You know, you have to. You have to take this request. Mark Reed Edwards. Not only do you have like uh, the most amazing silky voice, but then your parents actually have the grace of giving you the name of Mark Reed Edwards. I mean, it just drips with royalty. And now you're going to tell me <laughs> that you're not taking requests? No. You know that that's an old name. It's like a couple hundred years no, old. I, I understand. It's not, it's there's not a, it's not a royalty you know, around that, right? That's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, you had a head start, okay? That's all I can say to you about that. But, but here's my ask, uh, and this speaks to, frankly, what, where we are right now. I think if you can get someone from Nike's marketing team, and I don't know which 
silo inside of that large organization it would be necessarily but i'm sure that you can figure this out yeah you talk about the colin kaepernick campaign from years ago and here we are was it two or three years later and the resonance so the fact that they had that social moment correct right and where we are today so that's one and then two, you've got to go and reach out to Secaucus and to the NBA, or maybe it's the NBA headquarters in Manhattan, downtown Manhattan, but get someone from the NBA. Because when I look at two brands and the marketing teams within those brands that just have their finger on the freaking pulse, yeah, those are two that I just find they would be great gets and they would be amazing interviews because- the risk that Nike took, I mean, people were burning their sneakers like it was like, you know, like Beatles albums when, when right. John said they were bigger than Jesus. It's, it, was, it was insanity, right? And this was only a yeah, couple yeah. of years ago. The NFL has pivoted, right? Roger, uh, uh, brain farting on his last name right now, the commissioner of football, Roger Goodell. Yeah, we we don't mention his name here on the. Okay, sorry. You can edit that out. But. <laughs> That son of a bitch is eating crow 20 ways to Sunday. But I think he, I th- he got it wrong. They got it wrong. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, but I think these people are pragmatic. Mm. I don't think someone who runs the NFL, Nike, or the NBA makes any decisions that aren't pragmatic. And I think that they realize who their audience is and they realize the value of responding in the way that they've responded. I think that it's, it's very simple, I think. Now, you can make it uh, based on on values, right? But mm-hmm. but I think that, you know, a few years ago, they were just scared. You know, the NFL was just scared. And to a certain yeah. extent, I'm sure they still are. But company, a company like Nike thought, well, we're nothing if we're not going to support this. Marketing is a reflection of society. And so so because of the social mores that change and um, the you know the ethics and, and all that that are in flux. And so marketing will change along with it. And as a result, the types of guests, the types of subjects we will deal with, you know, on the podcast will reflect that. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, your next chapter. Mark, I want to thank you so much for allowing me to uh, kind of flip the script a little bit and interview you. I know it, it uh, probably doesn't meet the standards that you're we're looking for completely, but I do want to thank you for the opportunity. And I do want to invite other marketers in the industry, again, doesn't matter where you sit, to really tap into Confessions of a Marketer because it's a fantastic resource and just the conversations are always fascinating. So thank you, Mark, for uh, the, the product that you've put together. Thank you, Victor. This wasn't too painful. <laughs> okay. Bye, all. All right, that does it for this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Reed Edwards, executive producer, writer, and host of Confessions of a Marketer. Shep Salau is my producer, helping put together the shows every week. Annalyn Timball is my assistant, and she helps with guest relations and getting everything scheduled just right. Thanks, Sheb and Annalyn. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. Stay healthy, and see you next time. Music